Good morning. Happy to see you all here. We uh, are continuing our sermon series uh, entitled The Attributes uh, of God. Um, as I've said before, we've talked about before that we will continue to go back and forth between the attributes of God that are communicable, uh, which means that it's something we can aspire to, and then the attributes that are non-communicable, which just means it's just a point of worship. Uh, last week, we did a non-communicable trait, uh, talking about God being all-powerful, uh, omnipotent, uh, the omnipotence of God, uh, which is a non-communicable trait, of course. It is just a point of worship, uh, knowing that God has all power and is in complete control uh, should bring us to a point of worship. Uh, and today, of course, going to a communicable trait. The fact that God is holy um, should make us aspire to be holy. And so with that in mind, we are going to look at 1 Peter. <clears throat> 1 Peter, the first chapter, uh, the 15th and the 16th verse. Now we're going to look at those two verses. We'll pray and then dive into it. Um, and with all the communicable traits looking at this aspect of God, again, with the communicable traits, it should inspire us to do the same. And so the fact that God is holy and that he is our father and we love him, we pursue him as we go after him and follow his lead, it should make us want to be holy. And so with that in mind, First uh, Peter, the first chapter, 15 16. I was going to say that means put it up on the screen. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Uh, and it reads as us, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That you shall be holy for I am holy. I like this verse a lot. I had a, a professor uh, in seminary who always told us that for every truth in the New Testament, that it is mirrored in the Old Testament. And, um, this verse is reflective of that. Uh, this verse reflects back to a verse from the Old Testament um, where God is talking to his people and letting them know that we should be holy uh, because he is. And Peter uh, references that verse uh, basically saying, as it is written. Um, but we want to we wanna let that be our canvas this morning where God is saying, you shall be holy. Why? Why should we be holy? Why should we aspire to that? You shall be holy because I am. I'm holy. Let's talk about it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all of your many blessings. Thank you, God, for this time uh, this morning. God, you are holy. Uh, we thank you for being who you are. We thank you for being a mark uh, that we can aspire to, something that we can shoot for. Thank you for being the standard. Uh, that we measure ourselves up against. Um, we love you. We look to you for everything. God, we ask that you clear our hearts this morning. God, if there be anything, any thought um, that would hinder us or keep us from hearing from you, God, we ask that you remove it uh, right now in Jesus' name. Um, God, speak to our hearts this morning. We need to hear from you. Um, we need to hear from you, God. Speak to our hearts. 
you are holy and help us to see that. And you want holiness from us. Help us to know that too. Forgive us of our sins, God. Wash us with your forgiveness. Help us that we please you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to talk about God being holy and then as a result of that, that we should be holy as well and strive for that. Uh, Let's start with the definition of the word holy. Uh, By definition, the word holy means pure and clean. And so when it says that God is holy and that there and we even know from our from the scriptures that there is none holier than him. That means that God is pure. God is pure, God is clean. And sin uh and because of the fact that he is so pure and clean that sin uh is an atrocity to him. God It's something that we don't talk about a lot. The fact that we serve a holy God. A holy God. I I believe that we don't like to talk about it because if you acknowledge the fact that God is holy, that then means that we have to measure up. That then means that we have to get in line and be holy as well. Uh, It is something that we don't talk about despite the fact that the Bible mentions it six hundred and seventy one times so God isn't really trying it's almost like God is trying to be pretty obvious about what he's trying to say he's not really trying to beat around the bush Uh, he's not really trying to dodge the point despite the fact that our world does in a book the the Bible has 66 books and in 66 books it is mentioned six hundred and seventy one times almost seven hundred times the word holy is mentioned you think it's something that God wants us to take a look at it might be something just by the off chance just by the off chance that God wants us to notice it we're going to look at it today but God is holy God is holy he is holy. He is so holy that in the scriptures and in the Bible times that when the people of God sinned, sin was such a slap in the face of God that when they sinned, the rule was that something had to die. Not something had to pay. Not something had to get a spank on the bottom. Something had to die. God was so thrown off by sin. He was so disgusted by sin and still is that when the people of God did wrong, God said, you don't necessarily have to. But something, something has to die just to make me feel better. God says something has to die. In the beginning, the Bible says when Adam and Eve sinned, When Adam and Eve sinned and they ran from God, the Bible says that they took fig leaves and they covered themselves with fig leaves. When they they were hiding from God and, and God was searching for them and they were hiding and God said to Adam, he said, Adam, where are you? He was hiding as something to look at too that sin causes shame. Sin causes us to hide from God. It makes us shame for God because we know how God feels about it. And so God calls out to Adam, Adam, where are you? Finally, God finds him and Eve with fig leaves wrapped around them, covering themselves by fig leaves. But that wasn't good enough for God 
God was so angered by it. He was so disgusted by it. They had covered it up with fig leaves, but nothing had died. And God had something else to die. And so the Bible says that God, not Adam and Eve, that God took the skins of animals and covered them. It was, and so in that moment, God killed an animal. We don't know which animal, but God kills an animal and covers them. It was reflective of the fact, and it's not like God said to Adam and Eve, all right, you go get, you go get, a, you go get an animal and kill it and take the skin, and I'll, and I'll take that as atonement. The Bible says that God himself went and got an animal and killed it and covered them. God took care of it himself. It was pointing forward. It was foreshadowing to the fact that later on when God got tired of, of animals dying, that he himself, that he himself took Christ and killed him to cover us. Holiness is, the Bible says in Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6, that God is so disgusted by sin it lets us know that when we walk away from god not not when we sin just a solitary sin but when we walk away from god hebrews 6 lets us know that when we do that we crucify jesus afresh we crucify him afresh and so we know just by nature that jesus is still being crucified every day Every day, uh, raise your hand if you ever watched the movie Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ. Uh, I watched that movie, uh, and I remember seeing the Roman soldiers in the movie. It was just a movie. It wasn't even uh, happening at that point that night, that Friday night. But seeing it made me think of what, what Christ went through for me. I remember being so angry at the soldiers that were whooping them. I felt like Peter. I wanted to fight. I wanted to fight, and I wanted to fight the soldiers who were them. God, I can't believe they did all that to you. I wanted to fight the soldiers. And, and then I remember hearing in my soul, you did the same thing. You, you've crucified me afresh as well. You've, you've caused me, not the soldiers, that I myself caused my Christ, my Savior, to feel that very same pain all over again. God is holy. Holiness, as we know, and so in seeing and talking about the fact that God is holy and talking about the fact that we should strive for holiness, I don't mean that we have to be perfect. That's not what we're saying. If you know here, if you, if you call this place home, you know that that's not what we're saying. Perfection is something that none of us will ever attain. And so we know that holiness is simply a standard or a mark. It's just a mark that we reach for. It is a standard that we attain to. Paul said in Philippians 3 and 14 that I press forward for the mark. I'm trying to get the mark. And, and despite the fact what our world is saying, God wants us to press towards holiness. He wants us to strive for it. He wants us to reach for it. And I'm trying, and I'm telling you this morning, as the scripture is saying, let's reach for holiness. 
Let's reach for holiness. Let's try our best to be holy, to be better for God, to live in a way that pleases God. Let's reach for holiness. And when we do wrong, again, we're not going to be perfect. But when you do wrong, you mess up. Hey, go to God for forgiveness. Go to God and ask for forgiveness. But this whole thought, this world, the world doesn't want us to even reach for it. The world doesn't even want us to, to strive for holiness. And we live in a world that is trying to stop us from striving for holiness. We live in a world, I'm going to say that again, that is trying to stop us from striving for holiness. I was, I was, someone asked me the other day what I consider to be success in our church. And my answer was that we strive for holiness. That we strive to be, that our men become better husbands. That our women become better wives. And as a result, that the kids might be better. I don't really care so much that we grow out as much as I do that we grow up. It doesn't really matter to me if, I, if we came back next week, and we're not going to turn people. But if we came back next week and the room was completely full, but none of us grow up, then we've still failed. If we come back, uh, we, we usually have, uh, you know, depending on the service, between two-something or three-something, you know, depending on how attendance goes. But if we doubled next week, but none of us got better for Jesus, then we have failed. Again, I really don't care so much that we grow out, but I do care that we grow up. Man, let's be better for Jesus. Man, let's be better husbands. Set the standard for your wives and for your families. Women, let's help our men be better. Help our kids be better. Let's be better for Jesus. Please, in, in the presence of a world that refuses to do so, as the church, let us grow up. Let us grow up. And holiness is a mark. And yes, we'll never be perfect. But in the, in the presence of the fact that we'll never be perfect, it doesn't mean that we don't reach for perfection. Okay? Don't confuse the fact that we'll never be perfect. That doesn't mean that we don't still strive for perfection. The Bible pushes us, urges us, please strive for the mark. Strive for perfection. Try to be better. We'll mess up in the process. I'll mess up in the process. But when I do, I just ask that God, please forgive me. God, please forgive me. And then I start back over again trying to, trying to go for that mark again. Every week I do boneheaded stuff, stupid stuff, things that, that just disgust my God. And when I do, I say, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I, don't, I used to tell him that won't happen again, but I stopped doing that. <laughs> I, learned, I learned better. No matter how strong I get, no matter how much I love him, I will do it again and again. Not on purpose, but it happens. It happens. I do it again and again. And when I do, and I don't even want to paint the picture at all, 
that I am perfect or trying to be, or I am trying to be, but I don't want to paint the picture of being perfect. Uh, those of you that know and have been here, you know that's not what we do here. We all have our issues. We all have our stuff, and we're trying to work through it together. That's why we talk about family. Just this week, I wronged one of my brothers. I don't, I don't, I don't see Rodney at the moment. There he is. Rodney, I, I wronged him. I uh, forget what day it was. I didn't cuss at him. We were, we were texting back and forth. I was a little too harsh in something I said. I do want to reiterate. I did not cuss at him. But I was, a little too, I was a little too harsh in something I said. That burned me up all day. All day in my spirit. It burned me up. And that night, I reached back for him. I reached out to him. I said, man, I'm sorry. I said, do you, do you forgive me? I've asked forgiveness of Christ, but do you forgive me? And he, and he reached back out to me and said, man, you're good. Don't worry about it. We're still brothers. Don't worry about it. And so again, we're going to mess up as we, but let's, that doesn't mean stop striving. We're going to mess up. We're going to come short. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short. So nobody can, can look down their nose at somebody else. I don't care how long you've been living for God. I don't care what you've done or what you've accomplished for Christ or what God has accomplished in you. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that our, our, our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Filthy rags compared to what he is. But that doesn't mean that we don't strive. It doesn't mean that I just need to let alcohol have its way with me. It doesn't mean because I'll never reach perfection that I'll just let pornography have its way with me. It doesn't mean that I'll let anger have its way with me. It doesn't mean that I'll let lust just have its way with me just because I'll never be perfect. No, in the midst of this, Paul is pushing us. In Philippians 3, press toward, press towards the mark. Let's reach for that mark. Despite the fact that the world is not doing it, at least let us as God's people be an example and reach toward the mark. Let's reach toward the mark. No wonder the world is going to hell because we don't reach toward the mark. And so when we don't reach toward the mark, we look just like the world. And when we, when the church... Oh my gosh, I could preach a, a series on, when the, on the danger of when the church looks like the world. How dangerous it is. The place that we put, uh, the Bible says uh, that we would be, Jesus says that we should be the salt of the earth. And Jesus said, uh, he, he talks about basically woe into the earth when the salt has lost its flavor. Now we are the salt of the earth. But the world is really in trouble when the salt has lost its flavor. And we are living in a time where the salt is losing its flavor. We don't need everybody to be on the... We don't need everybody to be working for God. When you, when you, when you think about salt and how much salt you put in your food, you don't, it's very little, of, of, a little bit of salt. Those of you that have high cholesterol don't realize this. But but a little bit of salt is enough. A little bit of salt can change the whole thing. A little bit of salt can change the whole game. Don't tell... And two or three hundred people can change all of white... No, I promise you. All it takes is a little bit. A little bit of salt. This 
small group of people can change this whole county. I know it. Because we're salt. We're salt and God doesn't need a whole lot. He doesn't need a whole lot to do a big thing. Don't tell me a small church can't do something huge. And so let us strive. Please, ma'am. Please, sir. Let us strive. Strive for the mark. It is such a dangerous thing when the church starts looking like the world. Now, it's okay for the world to look like the world. But when the church looks like the world... The, the world has nowhere to go to when they are looking for a solution. The world has nowhere to go to when they are looking for a solution because we, just look, we look just like them. That is a dangerous thing that we look just like them, that we talk just like them, that we act just like them, that our anger, that we, 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 we be bad to our husbands and our wives and our each other just like they do. That we have tempers just like them. It is a bad thing when the, when the church looks just like the world because the world doesn't know where to go. And I'm telling you right now, the world does not know where to go. We live in a time where the world has no clue where to go. It is why police officers wear... And, and, and firemen and these different types of people who come to the aid of us, it is why they wear uniforms. They don't wear uniforms to show off. They wear uniforms so I know where to go. So that if I'm in trouble, I'll see this guy with this suit on and this badge and this hat and this gun on his waist, and I'll say, hey, hey, you, help me. I need help. And I can tell by your uniform that you can help me. I can tell by what you have on that you have the ability to help me. That is why the Bible says that we should be clothed in righteousness. Yes, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. But in spite, not, despite not being perfect, we should still be clothed in righteousness. So that when the world needs help, the world can say, hey, you. I can tell by what you're wearing that you have the ability to help me. I can tell by what you have on that you can help me get out of this trouble I'm in. But when the world does not, but when the church refuses to clothe itself in righteousness, the world has nowhere to go. Instead of criticizing the world, stop criticizing the world for how bad it's gotten. It's supposed to be bad. They're the world. Sinner's sin. That's what they're supposed to do. Stop criticizing the world for how bad it's gotten. Stop criticizing the world for, for how ridiculous it's gotten. And it has gotten more and more ridiculous. It has gotten more and more bad. But guess what? The church should have expected that. We should expect the world to get worse. But what's sad is that when they do come around, What's sad is that when they are looking for help, that they don't know where to get it. When you look at our world and you look at the world around us, the sad thing is not how bad the church has gotten. It's, not, it's, it's that the world has nowhere to look. And that all police officers have on plain clothes. How am I going to know? 
if all police officers were plain clothes, how in the world, who do I go to? I don't know. Someone could be out there, but I not know it. Forget about this undercover, this undercover. Sometimes we live for God undercover. We got too many under. Somebody needs to be obvious. We, everybody, everybody can't be undercover. I'm not saying we don't have no undercover Christians. We need some undercover people in political. We, we need it sometimes. We need that sometimes. But everybody's in the undercover line. Somebody, please put on a uniform. Somebody in the midst of, the, of, of a dying world, someone be bold enough and brave enough to say, hey, I'll put on a uniform. I'll stand up for Jesus. I'll call a spade a spade. I'll call right, right, and wrong, wrong. We live in a, a world that is trying to change the mark. It used to be enough when I was a kid. It used to be enough that we knew that even when we did wrong, when we just came to the altar, we asked for forgiveness. We asked that God help us and change us. And then we would go back out and try to do it again. It used to be enough that there, uh, it, it used to be enough to, to sin, but then come to God and know that he could forgive me and ask him to help change me. But now, now we live in a world where we don't, where we want to call, the world is trying to call, and the church is joining in on it, trying to call wrong, right? The, the, I, I've never seen that before. Okay, if you want to be wrong, be wrong, but don't try to call it right. Don't try to get the church to endorse it. And, I, and as, as the pastor of white, no, I want you to know I will not endorse it. I will not endorse it. Sin is sin. Wrong is wrong. Whether it's me or you, wrong is wrong. It, it, it used to be that, that, that homosexuality was a thing that people did and, you know, hey, it's wrong. Yeah, and, 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 and I, I remember even talking to people, even as a young person, going to people trying to talk to them about the error of their ways, and I tried to talk to them, and, and they would tell me, and, and people have always uh, respected the fact that I've been pretty genuine and pretty honest with them and straight up and, 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 and not beat around the bush with them. And they would say, all, they would all tell me the same things. They would say, D, you've always shot me straight, so I'm going to shoot it straight with you. I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready to do that. I just, I'm just not ready to live that way yet. I'm, I'm, I'm just not ready to clothe myself in righteousness. That's the way it was 15 years ago. That's the way it was 20 years ago. But now they want to call. They want to call right, wrong. They want to call wrong, right. It, it is indicative. I remember there was this kid that I was, we were playing football. I was a little kid and we were playing with his ball. We were playing with his ball. And because he did not like the way it was going, he took, he, he changed the rules in the middle of the game because he did not like the way the game was going. And what is going on right now is, is that the, the church, the world is trying to change the rules and the church is agreeing to it. Just because we don't like the way it's going. And I am telling you, we do not have the right 
to change the rules. We do not have the right to say, well, that was wrong, but it's not wrong anymore. We don't have the right to do that. The Bible lets us know that God is the standard. He is the measuring stick, and he has not changed. He's not changing now, and the Bible lets us know that he will not change. What's wrong, what was wrong yesterday, 30 years ago, is still wrong today. And surprise, surprise, it'll be wrong 30 years from now. You know, I, I see, the, and, and, and I do want to talk a little bit about the, or address the whole, the whole homosexuality thing, this thing now where they're trying to, they're trying to say that it's right and it's not right. Uh, it's never happened before, but they're trying to, trying to say that it's right even though it's wrong and, and again, wants the church to endorse it. And, but, but before you clap at that or before you say, you know, what in the world is the, is you know, why is the world doing that? They're trying to, they're trying to, uh, to make it this way. They're trying to call it, uh, they're trying to call it right when it's really not. Uh, it is our fault that it's gotten there. I do believe that. I do believe that. I do believe this whole outpouring, this, 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 this busting out of homosexuality, I do believe is the church's fault. I do, I believe it, because in, in reason being, because we have elevated sins above another. We, we, I remember even being young, we used to take people who were uh, doing certain sins. Now, you know, you're, you're, struggling, you're struggling with homosexuality, or oh, you're really wrong, you know, but this guy who can't tell the truth to save his life, uh, you know, we'll, we'll work with him. And the truth is, the Bible says that if they don't get right with God, they're both going to the same hell. And because we have elevated some sins above another and said to people, oh, well, you're really wrong. Because had we welcomed them with open arms 40 years ago, they wouldn't be busting out now trying to have a revolution. 40 years ago, instead of sitting them in the back of the church, and, and, and ostracizing them or in the single moms and the woman having babies out of wedlock instead of pushing them in the back of the church and ostracizing them. Had we welcomed them then, the world wouldn't be in this position now. And so I want you to know that all wrong is wrong. All wrong is wrong that, that this person who struggles with homosexuality and, 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 and even me for doing what I did this week and wronging my brother, that we're just as wrong. We're just as wrong and we all need Jesus. That is why David said, David said in the Psalms, he said, God, purge me with hyssop that I might be clean. Wash me that I would be whiter than snow. God, wash me. God, wash me. I need to treat my brother better. God, wash me. I asked him that this week. God, I want to be a better leader, a better man. God, wash me. God, I'm struggling with this or that. I'm struggling. I was talking to a friend of mine struggling with alcoholism. I was talking to them about praying to God. God, wash me. God, I struggle with anger. Wash me. God, I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better person. I'm, I'm tired of the way I am. God, wash me. 
I want to let you know that the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Here's the thing about fire. If you get close to it, if you put something close to it, no matter what that is, it will change. No matter what it is, it will change. And if it hasn't changed yet, it's because it's not close enough. But if anything, anything, there is nothing in this room, there is nothing that you see will that when you put it close enough to fire, that fire will not change it. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 29 that our God is a consuming fire. Which means if you get close enough to him, he'll change you. That is why that, that is that is why the devil doesn't want you to read your Bible. That is why you get sleepy every time it's time to pray. Because the devil knows that our God is a consuming fire. And if you get close enough to him, he will change you. He will change you. It's, it's ridiculous. I hear people say, oh, that person will never, they'll never know Christ. They'll never be, they'll never be better. If they come close enough, they will. If they come close enough, they will. That is why we should never stop praying for people. There is not one soul on this planet that is that if it's close enough to the Savior, that it won't change. There is not one soul. A soul has never existed that if it got close enough to my God, that it will not do a 360 and an about face for him. The soul has never existed. And I say to you, as we strive for holiness... If you are living the same way you were a year ago, come closer. God is calling out to you. He's calling out to his people. Forget about the world for a second. God is calling out to his people. Come closer. Come closer. If your walk with God is no better than it was January 2016, come closer. If you're still struggling with the same stuff in the same way that you were a year ago or two years ago, come closer. I think sometimes as we walk with God and as we walk towards God, we reach a point where we, we get to God and we get so close to the fire and we say, oh, that's, that's about good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm warm enough right here. I'm, I don't need to. I'm warm enough right here. But the Bible says, it doesn't say that our God is a warming fire. <laughs> oh, no, that's not good enough. Come on closer. It says our God is a consuming fire. God wants to consume you. He wants to burn up your sin. He wants to destroy it. He wants to, he wants to eat away your anger. He wants to eat away uh, that, that lust and that addiction. He wants to flat eat it away. And all you have to do is come closer. Why are we scared to come closer? Why are we scared to go to small group? Why are we scared to take that next step and come closer to God? It's because we know what he'll do. God has no desire to warm you. He's not trying to make you comfortable. You say you get to a point in your relationship with God because you're reading your Bible once a week and say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm plenty warm, God. I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm right here. God has no desire. Thank you, Jesus. God has no desire to make you comfortable. Yeah. 
He's not trying to warm you up and get you out of the cold. He wants to consume you. He wants to consume you. I, I, I remember I was, I, was, uh, I was in a bonfire. Not a bonfire. We, uh, we had a fire pit in the backyard. And, and I remember that I put something in the fire pit. And, but I put it on the edge of the fire pit. And so when I came back in 15, 20 minutes, I could still tell what it was. And so what I did was I took a stick and I nudged it into the middle of the fire. And then I went away and I came back in 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, because it was in the middle of the fire, I could not tell where it started, where it ended, where it began, where it stopped. I couldn't even pick it out because the fire had totally consumed it. There's a song, I think it's by Jill Scott, where she talks about, I can't tell where you, I don't know Jill Scott, Stephanie, help him. You might not know this guy. She sings a song where she talks about, she's an R&B singer. She, she talks about, it's a love song. Uh, yeah, I brought it up. But, but she says in the song, I can't tell where my skin ends and yours begins. Okay? And as in you my bad. Dang. That, that didn't just happen in public to me. See, you didn't have to correct me because then you're white and you did it and that makes me look bad. No, no. Don't do that again. All right, dog. Cut this thing off. Cut this off. What you should have done was told Stephanie. And let Stephanie do that. Yep. Then I don't look like a fool in front of my whole congregation. This is, this is ridiculous. But. Let's get back to what I'm saying. Don't interrupt me no more. Let's get back to what I'm saying. Stop interrupting me. So she was saying that I can't tell where my skin ends and yours begins. And that is what, follow me, that is what God wants to do. God wants to so consume you that you can't tell where his skin ends and yours begins. That your will would just get lost in his is what he wants. The 37 Psalms, one of my favorite, it says, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean that he's going to give you everything you want, but it does mean that if you delight yourself in him, that if your delight is truly in him, he says, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, if your delight is truly in him, and he gives you the desires of your heart, all you want is more of him. And so what he's saying, if you delight yourself in me, I'll give you more of me. And God wants you to have more in him. He wants you to delight in him. He wants you to get lost in him. You should not be able to tell a difference. Get lost in him. I'm going to close by saying, we as white know, let's come past that point of just being warm. You wouldn't be here if you weren't warm. But let's go past that point and let the fire consume us. All right? I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you for all your many blessings. God, I thank you for my family here. Even though they laugh at me, I love them. God, help us to... Uh, God, you're not really concerned with our comfort. 
Help us to go past the point of being comfortable uh, and help us to be consumed by the fire that is you. We love you, Jesus. You said in your word, be holy because I am. Help us to be holy for you. Help us to want to please you. Help us to strive for it. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This audio is provided as a free ministry of Radius Church. If you would like to reproduce this audio, please feel free to do so. We ask that you do not charge for any reproductions that you make. If you would like to know more about Radius, please visit us online at radiuschurch.org or download our app from your app store.